0: morning, Flourishing Greys and welcome to our Sunday morning worship gathering. Before we sing the gospel over one another this morning, I'm gonna kick it to the house church leaders. They're gonna lead us in a call to worship from Colossians. If you're on your own or with your family this morning, watching from home, we're gonna throw the verse up on the screen, just encourage you to read it over one another as a family this morning, and then we'll sing together. of God's goodness. We are reminded that he is holy. He is a merciful God. That's why we leave time in every one of our gatherings for uh, confession and repentance of our sins. So I'm going to kick it to the house church leaders. They're going to lead us um, in just a prayer of confession. If you're on your own this morning, I just, just take a couple minutes to, to read through these things, and, and um, let's just be a people, a praying people um, together this morning. us to be a praying people in first Timothy chapter 2 he says to pray intercede petition for all people that they may live a godly and peaceful life it talks about praying for our communities and our leaders and so we want to be as Christians a praying people praying for our world praying for our communities praying for the things that are going on if you're anything like me this week here like what can I do the first place the very best place to start is to to be a praying people, to, to, to intercede and petition for the things that are going on, that God can change them and transform them because the world is a, is a broken and fractured and splintered place. So I'm going to turn it over to the house church leaders they are just going to lead us in a time of prayer this morning. Um, just in your groups, I just pray for us to just earnestly seek God this morning.
1: morning, Flourishing Grace, man, um, I want to just say welcome. My name is Josh Knight, I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision. For those of you who are maybe tuning into this for the very first time, we're gathering every single week um, in this kind of digital way. We actually have house church gatherings um, that we are doing as a church. They're meeting throughout all of uh, Davis County. And, and I just want to say real quick, before we get into the word this morning, um uh, I just want to kind of give you an update on what's going on with our house churches. So we have been kind of um, kind of riding this middle line uh, here at Flourishing Grace, right? There are some who are saying, "No, no, 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 we can't do any kind of gathering yet. Uh, everybody needs to hold off. Nothing, nowhere. Don't touch. Don't engage in any way. Uh, lock yourself in a room. Uh, don't even right. There's there's that side, and and then there's and there's another side that says, "No, no, no. We must just forget all of this. Who cares. Um, we're, we're going to do everything back to normal. Let's pack everybody in a room and just sing and, and preach the gospel. That's what we're called to do. Um, here at Flourishing Grace, we've chosen to kind of, kind of slowly, step by step, walk as wisely as we can, and each and every single day kind of look at what's happening in the landscape of, of our context here in Utah and say, what do we do next? Not what does this person say we should do next or what does that person say we should do next? And what do we do next based on all of the information that we are given um, and and what the experts are telling us, the true experts are telling us uh, in this. And so we have opened up house churches. We have... um, I know 10 or so house churches that are gathering throughout all of um, even South Davis County and North Davis County. Uh, We have house churches that are gathering every single week. They're singing together. Uh, They're going through confession. They're reading the word together. Um, They're praying together. Um, And then they're engaging in this uh, video, teaching together. Every single week, next Sunday, we're going to be taking communion together in our house churches. Very excited about that. Um, And as we've looked at the numbers here in Utah. We've seen uh, as we've reopened as a state, um, we've seen a we've seen a great spike in the number of coronavirus uh, cases and deaths. Uh, we have seen uh, Logan, Utah. This past week was the number one uh, greatest increase in coronavirus cases in the entire nation, in the entire United States of America. Logan, Utah, was number one for the most increase of cases, um, and we know why. It's no, it's no. Um, mystery as to why we're seeing this spike. Um, however, it has encouraged us as a church to continue to walk wisely. We're not going to go backwards. We, we believe that uh, the house churches are uh, fairly safe, as safe as, as anything else is going to be. And so we're going to commit to the next uh, six weeks of being in house churches together. Well, seven if you include today. Seven weeks of being in house churches together. And so for those of you, I just want to say for those of you who are maybe sitting on the side saying, you know what, they're going to gather together any day now we'll be back in the building Um, I'm just going to wait till then I want to invite you to join a house church next Sunday we're going to be taking communion together uh, participating in the Lord's Supper in our house churches, um, just singing together, um, just spending time. We have a children's ministry that's taking place in our house churches uh, for those of you with kids. Um, let's, let us not forsake gathering together. Um, let us participate in that. Uh, of course, for those of you who are in an at-risk category or for your own safety would say, man, I don't, I don't think that's the best decision for me, um, then please, please refrain. But for those of you who are kind of sitting on the sidelines saying, I'm just going to wait till they regather, uh, together, mean, it's going to be seven weeks, and that's just too long for your own spiritual growth, your own spiritual nourishment and health um, to be outside of a biblical community. And so I want to in- invite you to go onto our website, flourishinggrace.org. You can sign up for a house church right there today, right now, um, and we'll get you plugged into one for next Sunday, and we'll take communion together in those child churches. It's going to be a great, great Sunday for us next week. Um, we are beginning a brand new series this morning, um, but before we do that, I just wanna quickly speak into everything we've seen, everything we've seen uh, over the past few months in our nation. Um, we, we are um, in a people who are experiencing a great trauma. And I, I don't say that flippantly, There have been a series of traumatic events that we have um, borne witness to, uh, some of us firsthand in a very, very real way, others of us from a little bit of a distance, right? Starting just a a few months ago, uh, for all of us, every single one of us who are listening to this right now, our lives were in a moment, in an instant, changed. Um, Whether you are, no matter what stage of life you may be in, uh, life changed for us as as this coronavirus pandemic swept through our nation and really through the world. In a very short period of time, we've seen over 110,000, over 110,000 deaths just in our nation alone almost twice the number of people Americans who were killed in the Vietnam War have died in a very short period of time just from this pandemic it's a traumatic event no matter what your opinion may be on it we can all agree this is a traumatic event and we've gone from kind of one stage to another, kind of you can do this, or you know you can't do that, or no, we can do this, or no, you can't do that. Kind of this this kind of this kind of yo-yo whiplash of trauma. And then things begin to boil over in a completely different way. We see kind of this violent vigilante killing of Ahmad Aberry who is who is gunned down in the street because of the color of his skin. We see a violent murder of uh, George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis uh, police officers. We see it happen. I watched a man be murdered in the street as he cried for his mother. And then we've watched our nation erupt in protest, many of them peaceful, but many of them violent. We saw stores looted, cars burned, people beaten, people shot, people killed, just in the past couple weeks. A question I want to wrestle with this morning before we open the word, is how does the Christian respond to this? How does flourishing grace respond to this? We've spent five months, five months, in the Sermon on the Mount. We just finished it two weeks ago. Five months looking at how Jesus says we respond to the world around us. The first thing I want us to ask, the first thing I want us to wrestle through is how do we mourn this? Right out of the gate in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And the response of the Christian, when we see this unbelievable outpouring of sin, unbelievable outpouring of sin in our nation, on the front page of every newspaper, on every channel on the television, every time you open your computer or look at your phone, we see this unbelievable result of sin in a way that we have not seen in some time in our nation, so blatant the curse of sin being, being shoved in our faces, there ought to be grieving and mourning from all Christians everywhere. If you are in some way living numb to this, kind of in your own little bubble, saying that, that's for them, that's not for me, you must wrestle, wrestle with the question, am I actually a Christian? The things that I have seen over the past weeks have grieved the Spirit of God the response from the church has grieved the Spirit of God. I've seen people who say, man, I'm a Christian, demand their rights, demand their comfort, demand their control. Forgetting that they gave all of that up when they chose to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. it is okay, it is right to mourn this. Have you cried in the past week over this? Have you wept over this? The second thing I want to ask you is this. What are you conforming your mind to? What are you conforming your mind to? Are you conforming your mind to the things of this world or are you being transformed through the renewing of your mind through the the word of God? Now, it's easy to say I'm not being conformed to the way of this world. But let me ask you this. What have you spent more time on in the past week? Have you spent more time watching the news and reading the news and reading social media, or have you spent more time in the Word of God? And now you have your answer. What are you conforming your mind to? What are you conforming your mind to? Most Christians. Most people who call themselves Christians right now are conforming their minds to the world. The response of their heart is driven by the way of the world, not by the way of our God. The response of their mind is driven by the way of the world and what they're seeing, what they're being told they should feel and told they should act based on the news, based on social media, rather than what they're reading in the Word of God. What are you spending more time on? I want to challenge you this week to keep a record. Keep a record of every minute you spend watching the news, every minute you spend on social media, every spin- minute you spend reading the news, and every minute you spend reading the word of God. And to spend more time in the word of God this week than you do in news and social media. What might happen if just the men and women of flourishing grace did that? What would happen if we actually, if we actually we're transformed by the renewing of our mind this week. Next, I want to challenge you with this, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, we see this kind of, this unbelievable call to, to love our enemy, to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile, to give our, out, out our garments as well, right? To, to, to love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us. To love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us. Have you loved your enemy this week? Have you prayed for them? I, I don't care if you're on the left or the right. I, I, it doesn't matter what your political views are, what your, what your cultural views are. Have you prayed for your enemy this week? Have you prayed for the family of Ahmad Adbury? Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you prayed for the white men who chased him down and shot him because of the color of his skin? Have you prayed for them? Are you a Christian? Have you prayed for the family and friends of George Floyd? Have you prayed for the officer who took his life and his family and friends? Are you a Christian? Have you prayed for Donald Trump? Have you prayed for those who are protesting violently, the looters, the car burners? We prayed for them, and their families, and their friends. We begged Jesus to reveal His glory and His mercy to them. Have you prayed for our politicians? Have you prayed for our police officers? Have you prayed for our black brothers and sisters? Have you prayed for our white brothers and sisters? Have you prayed for them? Have you loved your enemy and prayed for those who persecute you? Are you really a follower of Jesus? And finally, are we really loving our neighbor? In the Sermon on the Mount, we see this picture of these two different golden rules. We preached on this the Sunday before Mother's Day, right? Um, At Jesus' time, there was already a golden rule. This this guy, Elder Hillel, this rabbi, had had created this golden rule. Do not do unto others as you would not want it done to yourself. Jesus turns that golden rule and creates his own. He says, do unto others as you would have done to yourself. What have you done in the past week? What have you done to others? How have you served? How have you loved your enemy? I'm not talking about posting on social media. I'm talking about actually doing something. How have you served those who you disagree with? If you were a protester, how would you want to be loved? If you were a black brother or sister, how would you want to be loved? If you were a police officer right now, how would you want to be loved? Are you doing to others as you would have done to yourself? Are you actually doing something? Are you extending the love of Christ to a fallen world? As I said before, over the past few months, the, the most disturbing thing, the most disturbing thing to me over the past few months is not over 100,000 people dead. It's not George Floyd. It's not Ahmaud Adberry. It's not um, politicians bickering back and forth and creating publicity stunts. It's not any of that. The most disturbing thing to me in the past few months has been the response of people who call themselves Christians. Declaring their rights, fighting for their comforts, rather than denying themselves and taking up their cross and loving their enemies, praying for those who persecute them. People being completely conformed to the way of this world rather than being transformed by the renewing of their mind. So friends, my my friends here at Flourishing Grace, those of you who would call this place your home, who would call me your pastor, I want to challenge you this week to pursue Jesus more than you ever have before in your life because we need him more now than, than maybe we have in the past decade. Satan is winning left and right, creating division and dissension, unrest, empathy, weariness. He wants you to be tired. He wants you to be weary. He wants you to not care. He wants you to care too much about this thing or care too much about that thing. He wants you to be distracted. He wants you to be divided. The only thing that is going to unite us give us peace and rest, is Christ. We need him now. We need him now so unbelievably much. Will you join me in pursuing him more than you pursue anything else in the coming weeks? Let me do this. Let me pray for us, and we're gonna get into the word this morning. Let's pray. Father, I come before you in this moment Declaring that I am weak, but you are strong. I am foolish, but you are wise. My heart lacks peace, but you are the Prince of Peace. I lack self control, but your spirit gives the fruit of self control. Under my own power, I cannot love my neighbor, let alone my enemy. But your spirit gives supernatural love. I cannot find joy in any of this, pain and turmoil, but your spirit gives supernatural joy. And so right now, would you free your church from the bondage of this world? Would they not be conformed to it, but would they be renewed transformed in a way that only you could do. Would we be a people with deep resolve to never take our gaze off of Christ? Would we be a people who every day Look deep within ourselves and say, what comfort am I clinging to? What right am I holding on to? And give those things up at the call of Christ to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. We cannot do this without you. I cannot do this without you. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come. Fill us with your spirit. Pour out your presence upon us that we might live faithfully before you. Help us to love our black brothers and sisters, especially in this time, to draw them close, to fight for them in every way. Help us to love our local police officers in this time, to draw them close, to fight for them in every way. Give us wisdom that we could not find on our own. Give us a humility that we could never bear on our own. Help us model your grace and mercy, your life and your death to a world that has been absolutely ripped apart by sin. Would you shine forth? Would your glory be made known? I pray these things in your name, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Amen, flourishing grace. We love you. If you need somebody to talk to you about all of this, you, 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 the burden of this is just too much for you. Man, we are here for you. Man, and myself, our staff, we would love to wrestle through all of this with you. I know it, it's been hard. It's been a hard few months. And I know some of you have been, been lifting a heavy load and carrying a lot. There's a lot on your heart. And we'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to just cry with you, pray with you, Um, let us know how we can help. Let's dive into the Word this morning. Um, We are going to be starting a brand new series today uh, on the presence of God, the presence of God. Um, And we're going to be in this for the next seven weeks, which is a pretty short series for us. Um, We just... Spent five months in the Sermon on the Mount, so seven weeks is pretty short for us here at Flourishing Grace. Um, but we're going to be unpacking the presence of God together. I'm going to keep it really short this morning. Um, we don't have a lot of time together this morning. I, I, I want to free up our house churches to care for all those kids and, and all that. But I just want to kind of dip our toes into the series, and we're going to get way deeper into it in the coming weeks. The first thing I want to say is this. The presence of God changes Everything. The presence of God changes everything. Um, Everything in our lives kind of hinges on the presence of God. The psalmist puts it this way. In Psalm 16, uh, 11, he says this. He says, You, God, you make known to me the path of life, true life, flourishing. You make it known. Where? Where do you make it known? In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Our culture, you and me, we have bought into so many lies about where our joy and where our pleasure comes from. So many lies. Yeah, I've bought into these lies. That, that, man, if I could just have a little bit more money, there would be greater joy and greater pleasure in my life. If I could just have a little bit more control, there would be greater joy and pleasure. If we could just have a little bit more say, if my voice could be heard, there would be greater joy or greater pleasure. If I could have more fame, there would be greater joy or greater pleasure. If I could have more rest, there would be greater joy and greater pleasure. If I didn't have to deal with all the things that are going on in the world around me, there would be greater joy and greater pleasure. If, there, if this coronavirus thing wasn't happening, there would be greater joy and greater pleasure. If all of this racial injustice wasn't happening, there would be greater joy and greater pleasure None of that is true. It's not. It's not. In your presence is the fullness of joy. The only place where our human longings completely, totally become extinct is in the presence of our God. The only place where you will find the fulfillment of your longings, the fullness of your joy, pleasures forever, evermore, is in the presence of our God. In the story of Scripture, is bookended. It begins and ends with the presence of God. In the beginning, Genesis chapter one, God creates. He creates. And so often we're told, and it's true, he creates the heavens and the earth. And we've told, we've kind of fallen into this idea or we believe that he creates it as a home for us. That's true. He creates it. We we inhabit it. We live here. So that's, there's truth in that. But ultimately what he's creating is a home for himself where he would dwell with us us. That's the plan. The cosmos is his holy temple, the garden of Eden, the holy of holies, where he will dwell with man. Where they'll dwell with man. This is what he's creating. This is what he's breathing into existence. This place where he will rest. On the seventh day, he rests where he will rest with us with you and me for all eternity. This is what he's creating. He's creating this paradise where there is no injustice, where there is no longing, where there is no brokenness, where none of these things do not exist. He is creating this beautiful place where his presence is the focal point. His presence is the thing that will bring us the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. We see in Genesis chapter 3, this is after the fall, after Adam and Eve have, have broken all of this, right? This is what we see, this kind of glimpse into what this was like. In verse 8 of Genesis chapter 3, we see that, in they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of, of the Lord God among the trees of the garden." What we see happen in in this moment is the presence of God is still there. It is man and woman who have now hid themselves from His presence. Man and woman now hide themselves from Him because they are now broken. They are now ashamed. They realize that they can no longer fit within the presence of God. They can no longer live before the presence of God. All of what was right, all of what was good, this this beautiful, holy, cosmic temple that our God has created is now ruined for mankind, and it's not even cursed yet. The curse comes later. Instantly, man knows, I no longer fit in to the presence of God. Now, some of you are already asking the question. You're already saying, wait a second, Josh, hang on, hold up. I thought God was like always present. Like his omnipresence, always present, everywhere presence. He's, he's, he's everywhere, right? He's right here, right now. He's right where you are right now. He's constantly, always everywhere. In, in the farthest galaxies, he is present. In, in the nearest of my skin, he is present. This is true. Look again how the psalmist puts it. The psalmist says it this way. In Psalm 139, 7 through 8, the psalmist says this, he says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. God is a presence everywhere at all times. And the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. It, no matter where you go, he is omnipresent, constantly, always everywhere present. But the bulk of Scripture, when it speaks of the presence of God, speaks of a different type of presence. So there, there is this omnipresence, and then there's a different type of presence um, that we are going um, to kind of call his manifest presence. So there's the omnipresence, and then there's the manifest presence. The manifest presence is what we see in the garden as he's walking in the cool of the morning. His manifest presence we see in the burning bush, in the tabernacle, on Mount Sinai, in the Holy of Holies. Um, in, in the fiery furnace, in the manger of Bethlehem, in, in the upper room on Pentecost, in his second coming, when God actually shows up in this real, physical, tangible way, maybe not always in a physical form of a human being, but some form of his presence, more than just, okay, cognitively, God is everywhere, um, but he is manifest, It's manifest presence. This is what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And as I said before, the story of scripture begins with it, but then it also ends with it. Yes, clearly in the second coming of Christ, but even even eternally, eternally, what God is preparing for us is an eternity of his presence. Look at how um, John writes it in Genesis uh, 21. He says this in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. As their God, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And I saw no temple. I'm skipping down, sorry, skip down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, in the Lamb. And the city has no need for a sun or a moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Full Access, full access to the very presence of God. That is is the end of all things. It is the beginning of all things and it is the end of all things. The presence of God is what bookends all of human existence. All of scripture, all of our history. The presence of God is what bookends these things. We go from... Uh, no, no longer. Right, the verses before mourning, tears, and death are swept away by the presence of God. We see in in the garden, right in the in the garden, mourning and longing and tears and death did not exist yet. They're not spoken of because they don't exist. But then we see at the end, all of these things are swept away. There's no longer mourning. There's no longer sorrow. There's no longer tears. They're swept away by the presence of God because in his presence is only the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore at his right hand. Only the presence of God. God's desire is always And always will be that his people dwell with him. This is the desire of our God. And it always has been. When he created the cosmos, his desire was that his people would dwell with him. And when, when Christ comes, his desire is that his people will dwell with him. And in the end, the end of all things is that he will once again dwell with his people. This is the desire of our God. This is the hope of our God. Not, not because he's some sort of overbearing parent. Right? He's not like, please live in my basement forever because I, I, you know, I want you near me. That's not why. He's not like the, the, kind of the grandma that just like never lets the grandkids go. He's just constantly just like kissing and smooching all over them. Right? It's not that. He knows that the best thing for you is his presence. He knows that the answer to every longing of your heart is his presence. That's his plan for you. It's his plan for me. It's the presence of God. And when Christ came and lived among us, when Christ went to the cross and died in your place, when the presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us us, when God's presence put on flesh, it was to make a way for you to once again enter into the presence of God. That's the purpose of the cross of Christ, to make a way to wash you and to cleanse you that you might once again no longer hide from the presence of God, no longer rebel against the presence of God, but enter into the presence of God. Now and for all eternity, Christ, the presence of God, put on flesh and died on the cross so that you might dwell with him, that you might experience the fullness of his presence. There are so many moments between the garden and the cross where we see the manifest presence of God. So many moments from the Old Testament where we see the manifest presence of God again and 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 again. And, again. and over the next few weeks, we're going we're to study those moments. We're going to look at those moments where God shows up. But how much more, how much more should we be experiencing the manifest presence of God between the resurrection and the new Jerusalem? How much more, now that we have the blood of Christ, now that we no longer have to hide ourselves from the presence of God, but now that we can, now that we can fully, boldly go before the presence of God, how much more should we be experiencing it now? The full presence of God brought to completion to the second coming of Christ, but it's meant to be experienced now to be experienced now. And so over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack this history of the presence of God. We're going to look at the history of the presence of God between um, the the creation of the world and the coming of Christ. We're going to unpack, we're going to look at temples and the Holy of Holies and, and how is the presence of God made manifest and how do people drive out the presence of God. We're going to study all of this. In the fall, we're actually going to come back and we're going to look at the presence of God from the resurrection of Christ To to the second coming of Christ. But what I want us to do is to say, how much more should you and I, if you are a follower of Jesus, how much more should we be experiencing the presence of God now than the people who live between the creation of the world and the coming of Christ experience it? We should be experiencing it so much more. So much more. An author, J. Ryan Lister, writes this. He says, If we read our Bibles through, we begin to see a twofold pattern. First, the Bible makes clear that the presence of God is a central goal in God's redemptive plan. All God's work ends with the Lord dwelling with man. And second, The presence of God is not only an objective, it is also the means by which the redemptive mission is fulfilled. God writes himself into his own story to bring salvation. To understand our Bibles and how it changes us, we need to know God's presence. What he's saying is this. God's presence with you and with me is one of the greatest goals of our God, that we would be with him where he is, that we would dwell with him. The reason Christ came is so that we could dwell with him, that we could be united to him once again. The presence of God is this central theme. It should be a central theme to the life of every follower of Jesus. It should be a central theme to our life. The presence of God was required for our salvation. God's presence had to dwell among us. God's presence had to go to the cross. God's presence had to be buried. God's presence had to raise from the grave. It was required for our salvation. So, what? Why does any of this matter? Why, Why does any of this matter to you? Why does any of this matter to me? Why are we spending seven weeks on this. The presence of God is the thing that every human being is longing for. The presence of God is is the thing that every human being is longing for. There's a great quote. um, It used to be uh, that people said that that this quote was from G.K. Chesterton. Um, Turns out that that's not true, but it's still a great quote. Here's what it says. Um, He says, um, a man knocking on the door of a brothel is knocking for God. A man knocking on the door of a brothel is knocking for God. Right now, right now, our nation is crying out, is crying out for the presence of God. The man burning a car in the street is crying out for the presence of God. Kids looting buildings, stores, are crying out for the presence of God. men shooting each other in the street are crying out for the presence of God. Our nation is crying out for the presence of God. Crying out for the presence of God. And they don't even know it. They don't even know it. Does our culture have paradise? Does our culture live the fullness of joys and pleasures forevermore? No. Of course not, because they do not have the presence of God. There is no racism in the presence of God. There is no injustice in the presence of God. There is no murder in the presence of God. There is no rioting in the presence of God. There is no politics in the presence of God. There is no virus in the presence of God. There is no death in the presence of God. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Friends, what if God wanted you to experience His manifest presence right now? What if God wanted Christians to live a life experiencing His actual manifest presence? What, what if God wanted to use His manifest presence in your life to give? the world, our nation, a glimpse, a glimpse of the true thing that they are longing for, the true thing that they are crying out for? And what if there's a generation, or maybe multiple generations of Christians, who have no idea what the presence of God actually is? This is why I think that this series for us is going to be so crucial. So important for you to lean in, not lean out. To walk with us in this. So I have three goals for us in this series. Three goals. Over the next few weeks, like as I said, we're going to take a deep dive into the history of the presence of God from the garden uh, to the birth of Christ. From the garden of the birth of Christ, we're going to look at, and what are the things that the people of Israel did in order to bring near the presence of God and to experience the presence of God? What are the things the people of Israel did to push away the presence of God? Um, and we're going to learn from that. But I have three main goals for you. Number one, that you would begin to long for the presence of God more than you long for anything in your life. That you would long for the manifest presence of God, that you would just, just long for it. God, pour out your presence upon me. To long for the presence of God more than you long for anything. Number two, that you begin to understand what brings about His presence and what removes it. As I said, we're going to look at that together. We're going to look at the evidence of that. What are the things that I do in my life that drive the presence of God away There are things that we do. There are things that you are doing. There's a reason why we don't experience the presence of God. God's desire, as we've already seen just in the past short few minutes, God's desire is for you to experience his manifest presence. From the beginning to the end, that has been one of his main themes and main goals. Why are we not? There are things that you are doing that are driving his presence. What are the things we need to do in order to bring near his presence, to experience his manifest presence? I want you to know those things. And then three, that you would begin to see the world's need for the presence of God and pray to that end. That God would pour out his presence on a broken world. That the cry of flourishing grace, church, would not be this right-wing thing or this left-wing thing. It wouldn't be that the world would somehow miraculously figure this all out. Listen, friends, it's not gonna figure it out. If your hope is in the nation, you haven't read Revelation. the world's not gonna figure this out. Your hope must be in the presence of God. And so what if we became a people who prayed fervently cried out continually and contended that God would pour out his presence into a broken world that will never figure it out. That God might move in such a way in your life and in your day where his presence would be made known to you, to flourishing grace, and to the world around us. Let us be people who pray to that end. Let us be people who lean in and learn. Let us be people who understand and know the presence of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you in this moment and I ask that you would pour out your presence on our lives. That in our house churches we would experience the manifest presence of God. In our homes alone, as we pray and pour out our hearts and read our Bibles more than we read the news and social media, that you'd pour out your presence upon us. That you would raise up within the nation men and women who are hungry for the presence of God. And that you would create a mighty movement of justice and mercy and peace and love. Not, not based on human means, but based on the presence of God. It would all come as an outpouring of your presence. Would you pour it out? Would you show us? Would you reveal to us? Would you create within us awe and wonder? Maybe glimpse, maybe see your glory. Maybe hunger and thirst for more. Teach us and show us. Pray these things in your name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, flourishing grace. I'm praying for you. Please be praying for me. Please be praying for each other this week. We we need God now more than we need anything else. I love you. We'll see you all next Sunday.